0: Welcome to the One Hand at a Time podcast. I'm your host, Chris Welton, and I've got a special guest for you today. I have Coach John Gallagher on with us, and I cannot wait for him to get into his story behind coaching, what he's super passionate about, and just the state of the coaching industry right now. I feel like everybody has the title coach on their business card and on LinkedIn and and everywhere else, and and here here I'm a guy who just jumped out of my big corporate job to go coaching full-time, so I guess that we can you know, uh, deconstruct that as my wife would say. And and um and, and let's let's just go deep here, John. Welcome to the welcome to the show.
1: Chris, I appreciate you having me on the show. Let me let me start out by saying it's a great opportunity and I appreciate uh, you investing the time with me. Some of the things you got going on and as I've read you got a book coming out. Obviously the One Hand at a time podcast is making a difference. Some of the guests that you have on there really making a difference and the effort and discipline you're putting in to make this happen. Is pretty powerful. I know you're making an impact, so that's really cool. And thanks for letting me be a small part of it. You know, you mentioned that about coaching. I think I, I, it's so funny. Just as a, as a story to go along with that, so I was looking for JohnGallagher.com. and when I when I went to buy that domain about three years ago, when I decided to go into this thing on my own after leaving the corporate world myself, is that it was a DJ in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he didn't have any <laughs> desire to sell his domain to me. So I had to figure out exactly what I want to do. I didn't know if I wanted to be the John Gallagher. And I ended up settling on Coach John Gallagher. And then I go and do the Google search and there is a coach John Gallagher in college basketball as well. So I still can't get on the first page of the of the tour. But coaching can be something that's fun to talk about. It's very rewarding and it's something that I you're exactly right, I am pretty passionate about. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like I said as in the intro there, is that the term coaching has just become something that I feel a lot of people are jumping into, um, maybe for the wrong reasons, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll kind of break down my decision to go and then we can kind of figure out what yours was to leave that job. And for me, I had felt I reached a, a mat, the most people I could impact on that scale was in the the company I was at. And to continue impacting more lives, which is what I really thrive on, I had to leave. I had to move on from that position where I was at for seven and a half years and go chase my dream to do something different. And, and, then, and it's so funny because then I see an article from Renee Rodriguez, who's a personal friend of mine, and it says, um, he was talking about how, be careful. There's so many people out there that call themselves coach, and they really don't know what they're doing, and they're not specialized in certain areas um, so the first thing I thought was, did Renee write that for me? You know, cause that's just how your brain works. Right. And I know that's mm-hmm. not the case. Renee and I've talked to this multiple times, but I was like, Renee, are you trying to tell me something? Right. So, um, but what, what's your take on that? I mean, what, what, what took you from corporate America to become a coach? And then what do you feel the state of the coaching industry is right
1: now? Sure. Well, you think about my journey and I'd love to say that it was that I just had, um, wanting to impact more and decided to jump. Uh, in this case, for me, it was something that was a push and it's something that I've learned over time. So COVID, I worked for a large company for a time, did con- coaching and consulting. So again, you wanna start getting in the conversation the difference between coach, consultant, and mentor and all those things. And, but I was doing coaching at a, at a large, uh, a big 10 company that was going forward. We were a face-to-face consulting company. And I found myself doing coaching, if you will, on the side. Coaching to me was ultimately taking people to a place from a leadership standpoint in my space that they weren't really willing to go to on their own. We've got a podcast called the Uncommon Leader Podcast. So it was that uncommon component of they were a good coach today, but to be a great leader, they really needed to challenge themselves and go forward. Well, once our business was face-to-face for so long, COVID hit back in 2020, I was consulting in the healthcare space, and we couldn't go face-to-face anymore. We couldn't get into hospitals. We couldn't get into clinics. And so our organization rode that out for a little while. Uh, got to the point where I'd been sitting at home for four or five months, and those big companies are not going to employ you if you're not generating revenue. And so they gave me a runway. And the, the idea behind coaching, interestingly enough, and, and the model that I use, is that you start off with a dream. And I had a dream I shared with a couple bosses about 10 years prior to that and said, I'd really like to use this model. In terms of coaching, to impact others, to listen to people, to develop their soft skills, to go along with what was really important from a business standpoint to go forward, and at that time, that boss said, "Hey, that's probably a good thing, but it's probably not going to work here." And I got I got sucked into the, the big company security. I was nervous. I was I didn't want to jump and lose that health insurance and lose that regular salary that was there and all those different components. And until frankly, I was uh, given the given the boot. And had to make a decision whether or not I wanted to get back into corporate America in a different side or really trust what my dream was and make a decision to go forward. That was something I had to do. I had a long discussion with my wife and said, we're going to go try this out. I felt like I had enough relationships in the space that you're working in. I think that's a great big part of what happens with regards to being successful at coaching is what are those relationships that you already built? Who's going to be able to introduce you to others that are going to help you to make a difference, Chris? And I think that's the power of what's happening. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen many guests on your show and you and I follow the same influencers for the most part. And you get to call a few of those guys friends where I'm just getting to know them, the John Gordons and the Ben Newmans and the Ed Mylets of the world. Those are the folks that really talk about, you know, the power of one more and having confidence in attacking the process, all those different components that it took an influence like that and really say, I was ready to try that out on my own to have support from my wife as well to get that going and we made that happen that's been three years and i gotta tell you uh, i i appreciate it more on that entrepreneurial side than i ever thought i would in terms of being out on my own the freedom that is the ability to set your own schedule and to work with the people that you want to work with it's been really cool now again i don't know if i specifically answer your question about coaching but ultimately that's how I ended up going through it you definitely
0: answered the question, but gave me more opportunities to come up with more questions as my brain works. Such as how my brain works, right? Like That's how so, these conversations so, work really well, yeah, absolutely. Man. So that's the great thing about my show is I literally have no questions written down. I know you had some questions you want like that were like, okay, to I, I don't look at that stuff. And if somebody doesn't like it, they can always disconnect and we can move on to the next show. So I'm not a controversial guy, so I'm not going to ask you political parties or anything like that. But I do want to get into the importance of the decisions that are made because of your spouse, right? Like, so my wife, and when I came to her a year ago, and I said, you know, I think I want to leave my job and become a full-time coach. And I want to speak and I want to run my podcast. And she has been the one who's like on board the whole time. The whole time. Literally said to me, if we had to live under a bridge to make this work, that's what I would do. So without that, if someone's looking on this list to this call and they're thinking about leaving their cushy type of corporate job or whatever, make sure you've got a support system. If your spouse is not on board, you might want to rethink those things through because that could be a catalyst for some, somewhere you don't want to be, right? But sounds Absolutely. like your wife was on board. And my wife's like, look, everything that you really put your heart into, Chris, you've been able to succeed at some level. So what's this look like? and we spelled it out we looked at it we weren't sure what the right time was going to be and as i was going meeting with a group of guys in las vegas recently we're sitting at a table and i'm talking about the stuff i was able to accomplish doing this 20 percent of the time and when i got back from las vegas i said babe i'm i'm gonna resign tomorrow and there we go so here we are right so I'm, i'm 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 out here doing this now and i'm fresh on the market full time but I want to get back to the corporate America piece, John. It's like, sure, you and I both worked in that area and 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 in good jobs. That's not like we were in the mailroom. Nothing wrong with the mailroom, but it's not like we were in a mailroom position. We had nice, successful careers. But how powerful is it now that you can say you can't? Like nobody tells me what I'm worth. I I can figure out what I'm worth now. Can you break that down for me? How that feels,
1: Chris? I love that, and even and even goes into a meme that I was just that I had a friend that shared with me just. Two days ago, I believe, and it was funny as he shared through, is like most corporations today are not necessarily interested, if you will, in you building your personal brand and having a personal impact. Okay, so they talk about things like share what you learn, share what you're an expert at, and things like that. But ultimately, what that really means is share their latest post on LinkedIn so that folks know you work for that company. I just finished reading a book called The Authority Advantages, Forbes' book written by a couple of guys from Forbes who talked about that, that people have confidence in more of a name today in terms of the industry and what's happening inside of that industry than they do in a company. And I think, again, that comes back to that relationship piece that I'm talking about. The story that I had, I had a podcast when I was with this company before. I had another guy, another, a doctor that I interviewed with, and we did a segment. We were purchased by a large company that said, yeah, you can keep doing the podcast, but we need to review everything you say first before Mm -hmm. it can go out there and be in there. And so you're exactly right. It's not about talking politics or faith, which is very important to me as a man of faith as well, but it is having that freedom to really share your story and get to work with the individuals that you want to work with. Absolutely.
0: When I look at the opportunity that presents itself in the coaching arena, right, the impact I can have on people's lives and not thinking about the money portion of it, I'm not thinking about the money portion. of it. I'm not chasing dollars. That's not what I'm interested in doing, but I'm also know what my value is. Now my value will continue to increase based off of the, my results, right? So the more people's lives I change, the more results are driven and therefore that you can monetize that to a higher level. So I'm curious, are, do you do just one-on-one coaching? Or are you doing group coaching? What is, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, the primary primary business model that I have is one-on-one coaching. But what I really thrive around is working with an organization on the, on deploying their strategic plan with the initiative. So when I think about the, uh, if you will, the problem I solve, whether it's with the organizations that I'm consulting with, advising them on the work that they're doing, or individuals that I'm one-on-one coaching, ultimately <coughs> it's underperformance, that they're not quite getting out of their, their business whether they're an entrepreneur or their life, frankly, in terms of the different types of individuals that I coach, it's not agnostic, that they that they would if they had someone, that, again, that would challenge them, that would hold them accountable, that would get them to think differently about who they are today. And I think when I look at that one-on-one coaching model, that's really what it's about for me. You mentioned impact. You mentioned nothing about the money. The money will take care of itself, and we can talk about that, and you'll get paid for the value that provide, when you change lives. You know, I I listened to a guy uh, who actually, uh, one of the very first times I got introduced to Ed Milet on a podcast, I was listening to Rory Vaden. And you've heard Ed say this, but Rory said, hey, you're most powerfully positioned to help the person that you used used to be. And when you can stay focused on those individuals that you used to be in your journey from a leadership standpoint, you're gonna get more. And the most powerful referral that you can get is a changed life that someone starts to talk about. Last thing I'll say on that topic, I call my coaching model the greatest story ever told, whether it's whether business or whether it's an individual. And that greatest story ever told to me, the way I think about it from an impact standpoint, is when you someone is asked in the future to write down the name of five people who've had a positive impact on your life, that someone writes your name on their list as someone who's made a difference in their life. And you don't even know about it as their coach. You don't need to know about it. All you need to know is that that's the greatest story ever told when someone writes your name on their list absolutely so that's so
0: good i, I absolutely love that and i you know i was um, i'm doing some work with a guy named Taki Moore and i don't know if you know Taki Moore is or not but anybody that's on here that's in the coaching industry should look him up he's um, he helps coaches grow their business and their platforms on the group coaching level which is something i'm really starting to focus more on because it's more scalable to impact more lives That's the direction I'm going. But let's go back to what you're talking about, working inside corporations or Mm -hmm. companies that bring people in like us. The biggest gap there is, and I call this gap coaching, is the gap between leadership in most companies and their performers. There's a gap there, right? And they don't know how to communicate with them. They think that they're on the same page, but they're not. And I know this because I just left this type of role. I was the intermediary between the two leaders in the company. I was a leader, but I was with all the salespeople, right? So Mm -hmm. I spoke their language more on a daily basis than than the owners of the company did. That's just how it worked. I was just there more hands-on more than they were. Nothing against them, but that's just how it works. So that just made me think also, it's like, John... There's so many companies out there that need somebody like us to come in and bridge, close that gap, right? Build a bridge, accountability, just different things. And what I know for sure is, is when you help companies grow with their sales, they'll pay you whatever it takes. I used to do consulting in some different special events in the car industry, and they would pay me astronomical amounts of money to be there for five days because I would change the mindset of everything that that they're doing. What, what is your take on that as far as that gap when you go into these companies? and, and the, the, this, it, It's so simple to me because it's such a breakdown in communication. But are you feeling the same way when you go into these companies to help out? Well,
1: I think, Chris, there's no doubt about it. Whether it's in the healthcare industry, which I've worked at for a while, and the CEOs that are generally promoted to CEO position are not ready to be CEOs. They've been the best physician. They've been the best manager and oftentimes they're promoted into position they're just not ready for. And so one of the things that you're talking about with regards to that that gap, frankly, one of the gaps is their leadership lid that they have on themselves. They've worked really hard to get where they are. They've performed, they've been the top performers, but they haven't had to be a leader and develop others to be successful in the business. And so one of the things that I identify for them really quickly is that this business, you know, it's the hit by the bus rule. If you get hit by the bus tomorrow, what's gonna happen to this business. And if it's going to fail, then you're not leading this company. You're not developing the people that need to be led. So how I end up working with the teams, not necessarily as team coaching, although I do some module coaching on different tools, but I'll coach the top leader of the organization on where their gaps are. And then I'll coach their leaders as well. And so that there's a, to your point, a bridge between the two that they understand. There's confidentiality and all the coaching that's done but there's a consistency in the approach that's being taught. So it's not one leader learning in a in a silo. It's a leadership team learning a set of tools together to be successful. Look, you're, you're exactly right. What got us here won't get us there. Many times we work with smaller organizations, especially when we're a smaller coach to getting starting out. We're probably not going to coach the top 50 companies in the organization. We might coach one of their individuals because of relationship, but we're coaching people who have built a company over up. It might be a second generation or a third generation owner that have absolutely worked their tails off to make things happen. And they're looking to retire, but they can't leave. Okay. Because they haven't developed the people that are ready to run the business. And so I spend a significant amount of time working, working with leaders to get out of working so much in the business and work on the business and developing their people so that those others can make that happen. And they can go out if they want to and buy yacht or whatever they want to do or play golf, whatever they want to, and not worry about whether or not the business is going to be running when they get back.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of working on the business and not in it. Today, I spent um, about four hours working on my coaching business and not in it. I had zero clients today to meet with. So I literally spent multiple hours mapping out some strategies that I'm working on. So I, I love that. You know, I like to use the analogy when I'm talking to, to corporations and, and companies that are looking at bringing me in when they bring in somebody new into a CEO role or whatever. It's just like in football. I'm a huge football fan, right? So they bring in a head coach. What does a head coach need? Head coach needs an offensive coordinator, a defense coordinator, special teams, linebacker coach, wide receiver, like all these other coaches underneath him. A head coach is not normally the people person to the players. He's not. And I think that's where it's lost in companies. I'm the CEO. Listen to me. Well, they want, they're more related or feel more relatable to the guy who's just once or twice removed from the CEO. Right. And then you get CEOs who have that problem of, well, I don't want to coach up this guy, this guy too much because he may take my job or he may leave. It's the most absurd thing in the world is why wouldn't you overtrain everybody? And if they leave, they leave. I'm not going to keep anybody around who doesn't want to be part of that growth and that training. So I love that when I have a conv- a conversation with somebody who's an owner of a company or a high-level individual, let's talk about the breakdown in communication. And most people are football fans, so I can have that conversation with them. I'm sure as I expand, they're not going to be football fans, so I'm going to have to understand um, you know, um, football.
1: Like mm-hmm. well, round football, right whatever, yeah that, that round
0: ball but, but it's still the same it's still a coaching tree right it's still supporting people and understanding that I can't be the end-all be-all as a CEO of a company and I think that's where most CEOs fail because they want to be friends and do this with everybody but I'm you're not relatable to the guy who's making fifty thousand dollars a year you're not relatable to him as much as you want to try, you're not. So you have to have those other people in there. Do you see the same thing, John, when you when you deal with, you know, you've got to try to help that growth pattern or come up with a coaching tree internally to do
1: that? I absolutely do, Chris. I mean, you know, to stay along that football analogy, Lou Holtz would say, I mean, you gotta have, there's no doubt about it, the leader has got to be really strong, but he's not gonna be a very good leader very long if he doesn't have good players and good coaches. Okay. Good good coaches can kind of win a couple games, but great coaches. Look at look at the tree you mentioned, Nick Saban's tree, in terms of the coaches that continue to get promoted out of there. Now, I do believe you have to be able to connect with the people at, that, at all levels and be able to, in essence, manage by walking around and let them know uh, that you care and be able to communicate your vision at multiple levels in the organization. Having said that, I don't think there's any way you can possibly deploy that on your own. If you don't have a team that you set objectives with, give them targets, measurable targets that they can hit on a regular basis and give them, in essence, the freedom to make that happen, but hold them accountable when they're not as well, then you're not going to be successful as a CEO. And I think that's a gap that I absolutely see. You know, the other thing you mentioned was the word friends. Okay. You get into those small businesses and those CEOs promote their friends to key positions. Then they can't hold them accountable anymore because they feel like they would break a friendship. That person is dragging the organization down where they promoted their best friend to the VP of sales and he's not not performing. How do you make that change as an organization? So I'm not saying you can't work with friends. All I'm saying is you got to draw a line between can I hold somebody accountable to the expectations and you got to have results and the proper behaviors. You got to have a set of core values that you live to as an organization because people will see right through that as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's another term that's used so loosely these days, core values. It's some words on the wall, and when it really comes down to it, behind the closed doors and leadership, that's a bunch of BS. So I I agree. And the thing is, people see that in the organization. They see it. They feel it. They know that what you're spewing is not exactly what's happening there. Um, Like, I love the Ben Newman standards over feelings, and I think we have to have a standard of what we do right and I'm, I'm coaching a super high level um, realtor right now and we're talking about this team he's putting together and how he has to create a standard of how many phone calls a day his new realtors have to make to the leads he buys. We have to have a standard it, and it's not they're going to call from two to from nine to ten. No, we're going to have 60 touches a day or whatever that number is and that's the standard we lead to. Now. What I have found is dealing with people that have teams or in organizations that have never had the standard. Unfortunately, when you put the standard in place, you may have to get rid of some people because they're so used to not having the standard. Now I have to come in and say, okay, look, this is how it's going to work. This is what we're going to do. And they're going to buck it a little bit, right? And I don't know about you, but I've been in situations where I go in and I run some things for a company and Um, and then all of a sudden you see one of the guys slide through behind you in the back door and he ends up with a CEO and he's in there, you know, pouting like he's a, like he's a three-year-old. Um, so I I think it comes down to the daily standards we create for our salespeople for sure. And the accountability portion of that, but how do you navigate that when you're in a small company and it is friends, it is whoever, and you've got it it, every time I've got one or two guys that are going to like fight me and they're gonna not, you know, you don't know this and they're gonna go in there and run that. How, have you, have you has that happened to you, John?
1: Well, there's so much, absolutely, Chris, on a regular basis. And you know, you're gonna go into those organizations on your own and you're going to consult with them, say something to the effect of standards over feelings, Mm -hmm. or you're gonna go in there and say, look, what you measure, you control, what you don't measure, you accept. And right now you're accepting behaviors, you're accepting results that are unacceptable. You have to make a change as a leader, or you, make, you have to make a decision. I was listening to a study last night, we had our home group at the house, and one of the things Rick Warren says, like, everybody's got a dream. They wanna be this great company. I mean, everybody really does have a dream. They wanna be this great individual, this great leader. But nine out of 10 of those individuals are not willing to make the choice that they're gonna make the disciplines. And you know this thing from disciplines, you do 75 hard, you've instilled some incredible disciplines to make changes in your life. And, you know, there aren't many people that are willing to do what you've done, the law of sacrifice. I want to do what that company did. Yeah, but are you willing to do what they've done to do what they do? And you have to get ready to, and that's for me, you know, that really makes my uniqueness is the intentionality. I don't let up. You got to be a dog on a bone. Okay, when you say something like you need 60 touches a day and they do 40 touches a day, are you going to accept that? Or are you you going to address that as an individual try to get them to change their behaviors so so let, let me, let me jump to in to on that. i want to
0: jump on, on that real quick john i, I don't normally cut no, my head no, off but, but it reminds me of a conversation i have with ben newman and those of you listening if you don't know who ben newman is find out who ben newman is um and uh he is continued fight on instagram but i'm on a first call ever with ben it's december 26th of this of last year he messaged me and said, yeah, I'll do a call with you at 12 on December 26th. I'm like, man, I'm off like the whole week after Christmas. But but I'll get on with Ben Newman, right? So we're talking, and he said, hold on. I want you to understand something. When you're given something you need to get done in business, it's the same thing. Would you walk in, because I have this Florida Gator helmet behind me here. Would you walk in to the Florida Gator locker room when you're playing football at Florida, and the strengths coach says, we're going to do 10 sets of 10 bench today, Chris. You're not going to tell them that you're going to do four sets of five. Right? Like, I mean, you're not going to do that. So why do you do that in your personal and your business life? Why do we do that? Why do we put up with that? Well, I'm glad people do because that gives us more opportunities to coach them. <laughs> First of all. That's right. You're exactly right.
1: That's what makes this industry, and you, you said it at the very start, there's such a need there, because there's such a gap between – where they are today and where they need to go.
0: Yeah. And and it's, it's, I find it really frustrating and I've always been this way because I've always been somebody who puts forth a ton of effort and I've been in leadership and, in running car dealerships from the time I was 19 years old that I just expect everybody else to do what I do. And I thought that was normal, but the older I got, I realized that most people are just okay with doing nothing, doing nothing. So the call I was on today with talking more was talking about, John, and this is a question for you on the coaching side. How do you address a client that probably just isn't a good fit for you? I mean, I'm sure you fired clients. I've fired clients. I'm just curious, what does that look like, and how do you make a decision if they're a good fit for the best story told? Like, I, How do you decide that?
1: No, that's a great, that's a great question, Chris, and it's one that... You know, while I've been on the journey early enough, I've probably not had the ability to make all those choices at the start. We don't get to choose all of the players that we want to. But I really try to line it up right on the front end in terms of what the expectation is. You know, when you, when you set up a system like we're going to do two coaching calls a month you know, it's and, and you don't get to change those calls, you know, you might be nice enough to change, especially when they're CEOs, they're going to have some challenge. But are they willing to hit that discipline really early? And then we do formal quarterly reviews, reflecting what's going well and what isn't going well. What could be going better with regards to going through that with the client and asking them, what do I need to do different uh, as a coach? We've got to write in the paperwork. You can make a change. You can stop this journey You know whenever you want to. There's no uh, hard feelings. There's nothing. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Having said that, I've had about a 95% renewal rate with regards to that. And the only ones that have changed so far. And it's not about me. I think it is about the process that they go through uh, is that they're retiring and they just decide, you know, they're not using that as business coaching. Or they don't have that investment uh, for them anymore. But I think that's important on the front end to outline almost sliding that paper. I have a mentor to talk about this sliding that paper across the table and says, are you willing to do the things that are in this checklist? Are you willing to meet with me for an hour, twice a month on phone calls, and then an hour or two of homework And do the action plans that are really waiting to be done because if you're not willing to do that you're wasting both of our time you're wasting your money and your time and you're wasting my time as well to be able to to work with someone who can create that story now it might be that i've been uh, fortunate enough to have the relationships that allow me to not to have to do that very much so far but i know that time's coming i know that time's coming where i'm going to have to fire a client in the days of the big company world Absolutely. We had to do that when folks weren't changing because they're looking to us for ROI. They're going to come to us the first time that it is struggling just a little bit and say, where's the return on my investment? And uh, I have a story. There's an organization prior to starting on my own. uh, But they asked us, they said, you know, are you willing to guarantee your coaching results for our organization? Well, I didn't say it. My partner said, as we stand, He said, absolutely, I'll guarantee it. I'll (laughs) guarantee we'll get you results. And my partner said, are you willing to let us run your business then? He's like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I said, well, then I can't guarantee your business because there's going to be a time when you say, just like your exercise analogy in the Florida locker room, you're going to tell me you're not going to do something that I told you you need to do. That's going to come the time to say, I don't know that I can help you anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's powerful to be able to to back that up and understand. I did have one client. I've only had one client ever ask me, what's your guarantee? I'm like, my guarantee is I'm going to show up on every coaching call and be ready to bring you something of value. And if you don't think there it's a value, then we'll reevaluate and and maybe move on to something else. And he's become one of my best clients. So, you know, it, it's so funny when people start asking guarantees and here's my whole thought behind process behind that. It's the same thing in the mortgage industry. When they ask you, John, what's your rate? You know, why they ask you that because they don't know what else to ask you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I don't take offense to someone saying that now, I love something that I learned um, from Renee Rodriguez. Um, when people ask you, what's your price? And he always responds, my, your price to hire me or to not hire me? And that's, that. a pow- that's a powerful statement, right? Like, so my price is a price, but if you don't hire me, you're going to continue getting the results that drove you to get on this phone call with me right now. Right? So... I think that coaching is super important. I'm coached. I have a personal coach, business coach who takes care of me. It's Adam Roach. I am also I also do a bunch of one-on-one stuff with Ben Newman, and then I do some group stuff with Ben. I think you and I were on the same call recently with, with Ben. But um, Ben and I have been able to do some really cool one-on-one things, and actually I'm going to spend some time with him next week. He's coming to Orlando. Um, and he's become a, really a mentor for me, right? And now I've got Taki Moore, who I'm doing some stuff with who's super high level. And I share that with people because I'm not trying to impress them or anything else, but I'm letting you know that as a coach, I'm coached, right? Like I believe in what it is. And I'm on a group coaching call the other day with a bunch of other coaches. And I, and some of them were new to the industry. And I said, okay, well, how many of you are coached? And about 60% of them were. And I said, here's my opinion. If you're not coached, you need to get off the call right now. And some of them got offended. I'm like, how can you ask someone to commit to you if you're not getting advice as well? Are you the end all be all? Do you know everything there is to know about the world? Because if you are, then I want to know, right? But what's your take on that as far as coaching and a coach being coached and everything else?
1: Chris, I think you're spot on. So I have two coaches. Well, I have a coach and a mentor. I have a coach coach that I work with on a monthly basis on the branding side of the business and working on the strategy going forward. And I have a mentor who's ultimately there. And I see the difference in the mentor and the coach mostly being experience. Mm -hmm. You know, That mentor is someone who's experienced many of the things that I'm doing. And he also makes a great coach because he challenges me, he inspires me, he encourages me. A lot of stories with him and I believe that. And it's not just about the business, by the way. The story for me was back in 2017 when I had tried so hard to really work my own fitness journey and to make that work, Chris, and it wasn't happening. And I just, I, I, same thing, back to my wife again, in terms of making decisions. I said, I think I need a coach, I need a, I need a trainer to help me get better in this space, that I need someone to teach me what I need to do from an exercise and nutrition standpoint. And it was January 11th, 2017, I walked into that gym and Margo was there and, and the, you know, I ended up uh, about three years later in Men's Health Magazine with regards to that transformation that was there but I had a full-time trainer basically for three years to help me on my fitness journey. Okay, if you're looking to grow yourself from a spiritual standpoint, you need a mentor or a coach to grow your faith. I absolutely agree with you 100% that if you are going to be a coach of some sort or any type of leader, that you need a coach. This is so many different things. I mean, Jim Rohn talks about, you're the average of the five people that you're you're so closely uh, associated with. Look. The story is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to get a new room, right? I mean, there's a lot of different cliches that go along with that, but we need to continuously grow. It's a lifelong learning journey. And if we're going to preach that to others, you're absolutely right. Why wouldn't we live that on our own? I would want to know when I'm interviewing a coach, right? Who coaches you? It's a great question to ask, right? Yeah. Just like like Renee's question. I mean, what's the cost of not hiring me? or hiring hiring me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and what do you do? Like you know, and I talk a lot about that. I go to a lot of events, right? I invest in myself like I'm I get in rooms that Chris Welton probably didn't belong in at some point, right? And I, I and you know the story behind the Jordan, and I've been able to use the Jordan to leverage that to get in these rooms with people or get on phone calls with people that people dream about connecting with, right? But the difference for me there is, is I don't look at it as one phone call. Like I've got these, I got some numbers in my phone, John, that I could probably sell for a lot of money on the internet, but would never do that. But I can text certain people and they respond to me like, you know, high level individuals. And, and they like that, right? Like I've become really good friends with a guy named Damon West. I don't know if you know who Damon Damon West is or not, but
1: Damon's in Orlando
0: right now. Coffee bean. Yeah. And we were on the phone last night chatting because we were trying to get together while he was in town. And, Um, We just weren't able to make it work. Like I had something come up this morning where we couldn't meet, but um, I sent him one Jordan, John, that's how I met him. And then we spoke on the same stage in November last year and we've just become friends ever since, right? So I share that with people because I want you to understand that a lot of people that you want to connect with are available and they will talk to you and have conversations with you. Um, David Meltzer is another guy. And if anybody doesn't know who David is, look him up super high level individual. If you've seen the movie, um, Jerry Maguire. Okay. That's about his company, right? So, yeah. So, but he's very easy to get in touch with. I won Jordan him as well. And and then met him in Las Vegas in person. But the the thing is, is that figure out who you want to be in this space and then find as many people as you can that are doing the little things that you want to do. So I just pull a little bit from this guy, a little bit from this guy, because I'm not going to be Renee Rodriguez. I'm not going to be John Gordon. I'm not going to be John Gallagher. I'm Chris Weldon, right? And and people know me as one hand at a time. That's who I am, right? But if I can take a little bit from this guy, a little bit from that guy, and it makes me a better person, and I can impact more people, let's do it, dude. Let's do it. So, Chris, I that? love
1: the cre- creativity that you have in making that happen. And I love, again, those individuals aren't replying back if you're not changing as a result of what they talk to you about as well. Okay. You're making an investment in them on the front end, but what they really want to know is that they're changing a life and they're changing your life and they can see that you're improving. They can see that they're having an impact. So they are going to get back with you. That's the, those are the ones that you get back with. The ones that aren't going to do, they just want to take, okay. They just want to hear from me. They just want to take, they're not going to get back in touch with you. So they see that you give, they see that you're giving back to others, what you're learning as well. So I think you should, you know, absolutely be. For me, you see them behind me. I'm I'm a voracious reader when it comes to personal development. I've always got a couple of books going on, and you know, there's if I can pick one piece from that generally, and then I love to call them after I'm done. You're exactly right, and say, hey, would you be, you know, on the podcast or would you chat sure. with me? Jeff Henderson, who wrote the book What to Do Next, you know, he put in the back of his book his his cell phone number. He says get in touch with me, and so I did. I mean, I I, I gave him a call, and we've been. Uh, I don't want to say, you know, again, I'll stop short of saying friends, but he's been on the podcast and we've stayed in touch uh, over time as well. So I think those individuals, they're just like us. They want to make a difference in the lives of others. And when they see that somebody's willing to invest time and energy into what they're doing, absolutely, they're going to go out of their way to to make it happen. Chris, you're doing great.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you really, don't be afraid to take action. What's the worst thing? They say no. Okay, I have people tell me no all the time. We had a story before I got on here. I won't share who it was, but a super high-level individual who I was connecting with and hoping to put him in my new book, and he was like, no. So I'm okay with that. Like, somebody's going to tell you no at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: just curious, like, what are the last couple books you read that really that really resonated with you?
1: Well, for me, so I, the one that, and it, it's not even as much as leadership. I was about 10 years behind, but I just finished reading The American Icon. Uh, The story of Alan Mulally basically at Ford and how he was the CEO at Boeing as well and the story of his journey through Ford and how they documented that. But what I loved about Mulally as a CEO is he wasn't part of that crowd, if you will. He had a system that he brought from Boeing, took it to the leadership team at Ford, was a a coaching system, uh, visual management, red and green, weekly, wash, rinse, repeat. We're going to talk about these things and we're going to win. And he turned forward around. While it took a few years, he turned forward around and made a commitment over two and a half years to turn him back into a profitable company. Now, what I might not take away from that is you watch after he left and things went back into chaos again. So you have to be willing. You touch on this. You have to be willing to develop people that when you're not there, I actually think that's some of the biggest measurement. Uh, for me, books that have had uh, a recent impact on me. So Atomic Habits, that's kind of an easy one to talk about with regards to to what's possible and, and things like that that are going on. I just finished a book called, What If There's More? Uh, the move from success basically to significance in life that it's not just about, you touched on this, it's not just about the money that you made. Tracy Schubert Barrett wrote a great book with regards to his, her coaching process that she used. She left HGTV, was one of the 20 co-founders and left HGTV basically overnight, just like it sounds like you left a mortgage company and said, I, I know there's more than just the, the grind of what's happening. And it's made a, a, a big difference in terms of reading. And you know, I look over here at my stack again. I'm reading Rick Warren's Created to Dream. And I see uh, the standard sitting over there by Ben Newman that I've already read via PDF. And I'm going to read again in hardback. And his story, you know, in terms of standard over feelings. But attacking the process with regards to what's happening. And they're, they're not all like that. But they're individual. And I, even smaller groups, I mean, some of these ones that I've recently met, they're, they're just getting started on that author's tour, if you will on the podcast and and making a difference in the lives of others. You don't need millions of followers to make millions of dollars. That's a quote from AJ Thayden, Rory Thayden's wife, Mm -hmm. who said that you just got to make a difference in the lives of the people that you come in contact with. That's what's so great. I think, Chris, all the way back to the start, we talked about the coaching industry. There's such a need. Okay, when you put two coaches on a call like this, sometimes the fear is, well, I don't want to share anything that I might know because he might take some of my business. Look. We got to have an abundance mindset that there's so much opportunity out there and we all can't help everybody, okay? But we just need to help a few and make a change. Look, I I was was
0: actually going to segue into that towards the end here, but why some people were like, why do you have other coaches on your podcast? Well, because I'm from an abundance mindset. There's enough business for everybody. John's not the same coach I am. I'm not the Mm -hmm. same coach John is. We're just not. like We probably wouldn't have the same clients. And even if we did, it wouldn't matter to me. Because, what would that do? It makes me work even harder, right? And I and I want to say something as as we roll out here towards the end, John. I one of the things that I practice with my clients and also any of the the corporate companies I'm working some deals with is I want to get to a point to where you get you're they're so good that I can't coach them anymore, right? Like I, I I'm not I don't want to like I would love to be your coach for ten years, great, but if you continue to grow and you outgrow me, then I'm okay with that. Now, you better bring your lunch if you're going to try to outgrow me, okay? And that's an old school Southern statement we used to say to mm. people when someone I'm going to fight you. Well, boy, you better bring your lunch. Better pack a lunch, right? Because I'm going to keep working and growing at such a crazy pace that you're going to have to do the same, which is totally fine, right? It's the same with the company I go help. I'm not trying to be on their payroll. I'm trying to help them close the gap and then walk away and hopefully they can continue that's doing right. that. Now, historically, most companies won't, they'll go back to the old way and then they have to bring us back in, which whatever that well, that's a whole nother thing. But I learned that at a young age, coaching softball, coaching my daughter. And she got to a point where she was so much better than me than I was a coach. And it was time for me. She's about 12. I couldn't coach her anymore. She was at such a high level. Now, that was a bruised ego for me, but I learned that lesson back then that, hey, you have to be willing to let go of your clients and, and your players when they outgrow you. So uh, how do you feel about that, John?
1: <laughs> so Chris, as you talked about that, I, I love to use movies. You know, you talked about Jerry Maguire. I love to use movies as great examples of, of leadership and coaching. And the one that came to my mind, as you said, that about, about outgrowing folks or not needing them anymore whether it's the mic drop moment, you're like, my work is done here. But Nanny McPhee was the was the movie that came to my mind where Nanny McPhee was talking to the kids in the room and she said, when you don't want me, but you still need me, then I must stay. When you want me, but don't need me anymore, then I must go. And I think it's one of those things that absolutely, as you go through that journey, is that there'll be times like, no, 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 I, want, I don't want you to go. No, now it's time for you to fly out of the nest and do this on your own. If You've made the decision from a lifestyle standpoint to make that happen. You won't backslide. As you said, many of the individuals, though, once you walk away, they will backslide. If they don't put the standard in place and hold it there, they will backslide. And sometimes, they, frankly, they backslide uh, to a worse place than they were before. And again, another reason why they need so many coaches in this space. But people will change when the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change itself. Okay, they've got to make a decision that the, the the pain of being mediocre, being average, is worth the investment of the time it's going to take. Okay, to change the worth the pain of seventy five hard that you're going through to transform you personally, mentally and spiritually to do what you have to do to get there. You know, too many times, how did you lose eighty pounds? Oh, well, I you know, you you've got to know how hard it was behind the scenes. To get that done, so I I love I love the story. We, you're right. We shouldn't be there forever, and that's the other side. the The question when you get started sometimes is how much, how much money is this going to cost me? With the other side of this, how long is this going to take me? Mm-hmm. They want to know right off the bat, Can I get this done in six months? Can I get this done in nine months? And the answer is yes, if you're willing to do what you have to do to get that done, and put the standard in place, put the disciplines in place and practice those disciplines rigorously to make sure you don't backslide again. Look, I've been through the weight loss journey myself, and it took a health scare for me uh, to really get that fixed back in 2017 and get to where I don't have to be on that roller coaster anymore where you're on that diet. You can't out-exercise a bad diet. You can't outwork uh, somebody who's on a leadership path to grow. Keep going, keep growing. I threw a lot of cliches out of that and Those are just things that I live by, though. And it took me that long sometimes to learn them into my fifties to learn that, but it's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and I'm a big person of putting a physical challenge in front of me. And that's how I grow. And that's why I'm doing 75 hard again right now. I did it last year, did the live hard program last year. And then now this year, I mean, I'm just, I started 75 hard back in January and failed day 38. Um, I could go into all the reasons why, but the main reason why is I wasn't prepared. I didn't bring the stuff with me. I was in a cold climate and it was 38 and rainy and I had no gear. So I didn't let David Goggins get in my head and go ahead and do it anyways. Um, but this time was different. I knew I was going to transition and I knew I needed something to keep me stable because when I'm stressed, John, I eat right when I'm doubting myself, I eat a dozen donuts. Like I can eat more donuts. Like, I mean, I really could, I could just, I mean, that's like my thing, but what better time to be in a spot where you can't have a cheat meal, where you can't do that when you know you're going to be super stressed. So for me, the physical challenge aspect of it's a big deal and it pushes me and, and helps me grow and keeps me in line. And it sounds like it's the same with you. So as we wrap things up here, I'm just curious, do you have a daily routine that you stick to? I do.
1: Most of, most of my daily routine uh, revolves around personal development. It's a morning routine for me. And what I love about it is that I've got an accountability group uh, for other guys that you know, I have to communicate with when I'm done with that task. But for me, it's you know it's reading 10 pages in a book, learn that one from another mutual connection of ours, Bill Hart. I know that's yeah. how you and I got connected at the start. I'm on the journey now this year in, in 2023 to read through the New Testament in a year. So I have a a Bible reading that I do every morning and a devotional that I do every morning. And then I have, uh, ultimately for me, I don't refer to it as intermittent fasting, but I use uh, time-based eating as a discipline for the nutrition side that really makes work. I've got athletic greens that I take on a daily basis along with uh, a few vitamins that, that I work on. But the morning routine revolves around the reading discipline for me exercise for me is in the evenings. Uh, I just haven't found myself able. And I haven't gone cold plunge. I know you got got the top, <laughs> I haven't gone cold plunge yet. I've had a couple buddies in my group that are doing cold plunge that makes that work, but it's, you know, it's, it ultimately ends up really good for me. So having an accountability person, not necessarily the coach in that space, but I got to report to those guys when I get that, when I get those tasks done in the morning. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I, I it's funny because I'll have conversations with people. I'm like, well, what's your morning routine? Well, I don't have one because I don't have time. I said, well, what you just told me was you have one, but it's really bad, right? So everybody has a routine. It just may be getting out of bed 10 minutes before they're supposed to be in the shower and run out the door. That's a routine, right? So for me, I'm the same way, but I I get my workout in the morning. I am in the cold plunge usually between 5 and 5.15 in the morning. I was there for six minutes this morning at 46 degrees, Um that's about it for me on the threshold because I, I couldn't feel my legs when I got out this morning, and I was afraid I was going to fall and hit my head on my nice, beautiful C8 that sits next to it in the garage. So I was good. Obviously, I'm here. There's no bumps on my head. So,
1: um, But, John, so you – know, You mentioned yeah. one more this one. I've the, yeah. and ben Newman was the influence, on this one is to name the alarm. So I have, yes. I've got about 150 days now straight where I have not hit snooze. Uh, that's something that's been totally a game changer for me. Yeah. Um, in terms of just getting up and stop losing those nine, eighteen, or twenty-seven minutes of productive time. Productive. <laughs> we're time so good morning. at
0: adding by nines, right? Like we're yes, so I know, right? It's
1: a life story. I Can tell that that snooze button always worked, but that was that's been an important one for me too. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. You just get
0: out there and make it happen. Um, so, if someone wanted to reach out to you or connect, and we're gonna put some stuff in the show notes. Um, what's the best way to do that?
1: Sure, I appreciate that opportunity, Chris, as well. And look, as as Chris said, we get an opportunity to to coach others. And if anything that I've said has interested you in terms of the type of individuals that I would serve, uh, my website is coachjohngallagher.com. And you go to forward slash free call, and I'll be willing to do a free coaching call with you for 30 minutes as a result of being on this podcast. Would love to chat with you uh, and have that conversation. I'm also on LinkedIn under coachjohngallagher.com. I've got a podcast, Podcast UncommonLeaderPodcast.com. Uh, as well, in terms of going through that, Chris, you've been a guest on that podcast before. And then, last thing is, and this is you know another one of those disciplines. I've done a weekly newsletter now for over two years that just kind of compiles some of the things that I'm reading, listening to, and and uh, watching that uh, might have an impact in helping to equip and encourage other leaders who are who are wanting to grow. So you can find that on my website as well. Yep.
0: All right, John. Well, I'm so glad we made time to do this, man. This was fun. We could. I think you and I could probably talk for hours. Um, but, um, and, and hopefully everybody found some value to this and they share and and like it and get it out there. And, um, again, great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the one hand at a time podcast today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and share. I'm often asked if I'm available for speaking opportunities or accepting new coaching clients. The answer is yes. Feel free to click the Calendly link in the show notes to set up a 30-minute call with myself. And remember, as we move forward in life, we do it one hand at a time.